Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm so excited to have my friend Jeffrey Smith on. You may have heard him on a previous podcast on GMOs. Jeffrey is an expert of 25 years. He's educated all of us on genetically modified ingredients. He has a couple documentaries that are amazing. And I'm so excited to have you today with your newest information, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be here, Nika. So today I had a chance to watch your short film, which was so eye-opening. Thank you so much for creating that. It was so interesting. So how did you start doing this new film? Well, you know, we've been working for 25 years to educate the public about the health dangers of GMOs in order to inspire healthier choices at the supermarket and in restaurants, and it's worked. So 48% of the world's population is now believing appropriately that GM foods are not safe, 51% in the United States. But now there's a new technology, GMOs 2.0, gene editing, which is so cheap and easy, you can buy a do-it-yourself kit on Amazon. If you buy, if you invest in a home laboratory, you can create new microorganisms every day. And we realize that we are at risk of a replacement of nature where- Virtually everything with DNA could be replaced with genetically engineered alternatives. And of all the kingdoms that are at risk, the microbiome, the microbes are extremely urgent and serious. And that's been the focus of this 16-minute film. For people that don't understand the microbiome, could you give your definition of the Earth's microbiome so people understand that? You know, um, It's the little mini Jedi army working on all our behalves that we can't see. It's the microbes like the bacteria, the fungus, the virus, archaea, another category. And we it has a lot of intelligence that we're just beginning to understand. I remember interviewing Dietrich Klinghardt, who had a theory that it's possible that herbs are effective not just because of the herbs, but because of the specific microbiome, these critters that that form on those particular herbs. He said that the brain has a microbiome, and when those microbes become killed, the intelligence of the brain becomes less. The microbiome uh, for a woman with breast cancer, there's a new bacteria that comes to the breast to help contain the tumor. There's new fungi that come to the brain to help protect uh, someone with Alzheimer's, it's as if we have these allies that we didn't know about. And in the soil, it's very similar to what's happening in our gut, but that creates the nutrients that build soil and that make crops healthy. And that if we kill off the soil microbiome, we end up with very weak uh, plants and very that are particularly unhealthy. And Also, if we can build up the soil, we can sequester the carbon and reverse the excess carbon in the atmosphere to reverse that climate change issue. So it's actually this, like in the human being, there's 10 times more cells that are microbes than humans. We're one-tenth human and 90%, but there's 100 times more genetic material in the microbes, and we use those It's like we don't have anything in the human body that can tell the body, oh, we need to repair the gut in this way. That's been outsourced to microbes that tell the body, oh, this cell is missing. This needs this. 
The mucosal layer needs to be built up this way. It's the microbiome that's as if our hired hands that work on our behalf and we work on their behalf. And it can even train us. If it needs a certain thing, it can make us hungry for sugar. It can also it can also inspire us to be more social because it likes to exchange the microbiome with others. And when we do something that it likes, it can send neurotransmitters to our brain into our reward center. So it can actually train our behavior. Right. It's, it's like the gut. It's like our second brain is in our gut. When you take antibiotics to, if you have, you know, a sore throat or something like that, and you have to take them, it's going to kill a lot of the beneficial bacteria. It's almost like that. It's like when you're putting gene editing out there in GMOs, it, it's disrupting the natural microbiome of critters and, and, you know, everything that you need for the soil, all the living organisms and the bugs and the carbon and everything. It just kills all of that. It's true. And if you eat non-organic food, then you'll often be sprayed with Roundup and other uh, antimicrobials, which reduces the diversity, promotes the pathogens, and also prevents the body's microbiome from creating the precursors for serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine, which are very important for health and happiness. So, I mean, how is this even legal? Like, I had no idea about this, but how could that be legal to let people just do gene editing? Well, the biotech industry was not successful in trying to uh, pretend that GMOs were safe. And so we were we had the upper hand, I believe, in the education in the last decade. So they got together, literally got together in conferences, and their number one goal was to try and convince governments and consumers that the new types of genetic engineering, gene editing, were safe, predictable, and natural. And they were able to convince the US government and Argentina and Japan and Brazil. So for example, there's a gene edited mushroom that there's no US government oversight. It, it's not yet in the food supply as far as we know, but no one in the government has to look at it because they bought the story from the Monsanto types and believe that gene editing was safe when in fact we now have Dozens of peer-reviewed published articles showing that it creates massive collateral damage and could be creating poisons or allergens, etc., in the food. Oh but God. the biotech industry has done that with the U.S. and others. They're pressuring the U.K. They're pressuring now Canada. Those are actual public debates going on in Canada and in the U.K. They're pressuring the EU to try and make gene editing completely off book for government intervention. Now, unfortunately, the most common result of gene editing, along with all GMOs, is surprise side effects. And when you mix that up with the microbiome, as we will discuss, it could be a recipe for disaster. And in the recipe for disaster, you have certain bad actors, which were in the film, specific microbes that could have created cataclysms, but you also have the healthy microbiome, which could be corrupted, which could cause not only disease, but ecosystem collapse. So what I'm really curious, after watching the film, oh, I have a couple questions about this mushroom. So is this an edible mushroom? Yes. The mushroom that was approved, that was not even approved. It was basically the company that did, it was a gene edited mushroom that you can slice and it doesn't turn brown. So that was why they did it so that it would fake its age. And 
They sent a letter to the USDA saying, you don't really have to look at this, do you? And the USDA wrote back and said, no, we don't. It doesn't meet our criteria. Well, the FDA has no requirements for looking at GMOs because the person in charge of the FDA policy was Monsanto's former attorney and later Monsanto's vice president. The EPA has no jurisdiction looking at anything that doesn't create a pesticide. So no regulatory agency needs to look at it whatsoever, and it could be simply introduced into the food supply and we could see that happening even for products we don't know about, even imported from other countries, because there's no requests or requirements for them to disclose whether their products being sold as food is gene edited. So tell me, I'm curious, so what's the difference of a GMO seed and gene editing? So gene editing is just another way of doing genetic engineering, both are GMOs. The traditional method for genetic engineering was through a gene gun. You'd actually load millions of, of genes, coat, they coat little gold particles or tungsten, and you shoot a gun into a plate of cells, hoping that some of the genes make it into the DNA of some of those cells. Or you use infection agents from bacteria to infect your cell and force the gene that you want in. Now, in both cases, you don't know where in the gene your inserted transgene ends up. With gene editing, they use some techniques that allow a little molecular scissors and a little molecular guide. The guide looks for certain sequence in the DNA, and then the molecular scissors cuts the DNA, and it does so because it's trying to knock out a gene to silence it, or they've stuffed it with additional genetic code so that that gets pushed into the cut before the cells repair it. But the problem is it causes, quote, genetic mayhem, where entire chromosomes can switch to other chromosomes. There can be hundreds or thousands of deletions and additions and point mutations. And they describe this as safe and predictable but they very rarely test to see if their intended cut was the only thing that happened. And if there's, they don't look at the collateral damage, but a very few number of studies have, and everyone was always shocked and surprised how much damage there was. And so you end up with bacterial genes in cows, retroviruses from goats or cows into mice. You end up with all sorts of reconstructed DNA, all as a result of what's supposed to be safe, predictable, and and natural. That is really frightening. That is scary. So let me ask you a couple more questions. So if this is similar to like the Arctic apple, which is the apple that was a GMO apple, right? Which didn't mm -hmm. brown. Why would that have to have the sticker on it that said it was genetically modified and the mushroom wouldn't? In 2022, they're starting to enforce this fake uh, labeling law that was passed by Congress to give to the USDA. And the USDA created this labeling law that was as if written by Monsanto. Right. And nearly everything is uh, loopholed. Nearly everything is, does not require um, a sticker. The, the Apple may require a sticker. I don't think they need to do it yet. So you can buy it on Amazon now, pre-sliced apples, and it won't tell you that it's genetically engineered. Um, but 
One of the loopholes from the USDA's fake labeling bill was that anything that's created from gene editing is exempt. That so, is insane. So why not just do gene ed- call everything gene editing and then you don't have well, to have a sticker? It, it really depends on how the genetic engineered change occurred, whether it was from the old style or the new style. They're all GMOs. They're all subject to collateral damage. But if you've gene edited it, then you don't have to label it. And depending on its properties, you don't even have to tell the U.S. government that you're releasing it outdoors or putting it in the food supply. That is so crazy. So another reason to always eat organic, because that's probably the only way that you are going to know you're not consuming a genetically modified ingredient. Eating organic is so critical. You avoid the GMOs, you avoid the Roundup sprayed on most uh, GMOs and also on the grains and beans. There's so many reasons to eat organic. In fact, I just was speaking to a researcher, Michael Antonio from King's College London, who put six different uh, pesticides in together to test on rats. And he found that at low levels, which would individually not can not create such a big impact together created a significant impact that he was able to detect. And these were, he chose them because they're commonly in produce and food. So there's plenty of reasons why eating organic is really the only way to go unless you make, you know, grow your own food or you right. know your farmer. Right. Exactly. That is so important. I just did a another um, podcast earlier today where we were talking all about knowing your farmer and supporting farms. Um, wow. Okay. So how many genetic engineered items right now are we, are you seeing that are being released into the environment or what's happening based on your film? The film, which is called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, and you can see it at protectnaturenow.com. And I'll answer that question by referring to the name of the website, Protect Nature Now. The reason why is that in the last 25 years, there's been 12 commercialized genetically engineered food crops. In the next 25 years, we might see hundreds of thousands or millions of gene-edited GMOs released because it's so easy and it's so cheap. There's robotics being driven by artificial intelligence for massive creation of artificial genes. There's the you know all of the high school classes, the biology classes, the college classes. They're all going to end up with CRISPR creating little new organisms, and they could literally be releasing them in massive quantities around the world every day. So our concern was that in the bigger picture, we're replacing nature so that future generations will not inherit the products of the billions of years of evolution, but will inherit products whose number one most common result is surprise side effects that were created in laboratories. So they're like genetic time bombs. But that will unfold over time. So if you genetically engineer a cow, the next offspring will be in a year or two or whatever, and then the next offspring will be in a year or two or or more. But if you genetically engineer microbes, first of all, you can release them very easily. Second, they travel around the world. We know we didn't need a pandemic to know that microbes travel around the world. In fact, in the film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, Elaine Ingham, who was a professor at the time at Oregon State University, She was told by EPA whistleblowers about a secret experiment that the EPA refuses to acknowledge, but these whistleblowers were part of it, where they released a genetically engineered bacterium in Louisiana, 
and then checked each year to see how far it spread. And eventually it went around the world. That's insane that it went around the world, literally to be released in one place and make it around the world. I I would have no idea that that could actually happen. But the thing is, it gets worse because it don't have to wait for the next generation of bacteria to pass on the genes. Bacteria and other microbes do something which we don't, and that is they swap their genetic material. So if they see something that they want to test drive to see if it gives them some advantage, they pick that up, they pass on something. There's these big swap meets. Mm -hmm. It's a community shared enterprise, all these genetic elements. And so if you have, for example, a soil probiotic, now well-meaning, you want to release something in the soil to help recover it, maybe regenerate it so it sequesters carbon and it has certain properties, that could end up in the intestines of an infant at the other side of the world. It can end up in the atmosphere. It can end up in the Sahara Desert. It can end up in in basically all the ecosystems on the planet because all the ecosystems have the microbiome and many of them are dictated as terms of their health by how they interact. That's certainly the case with humans where we've outsourced 90% of our regular metabolic functions to the microbiome. And here's an interesting fact. I just wrote an article, it's coming out this week, uh, and it starts about the baby's microbiome, the infant. The infant gets inoculated in the birth canal, and what happens is in the second trimester, there's a change in the bacteria there, where originally it's there for fertility, conception, etc. In the second trimester, a new set of bacteria come in that are designed to digest milk. That inoculates the baby, the baby can digest milk. The milk has the, some more microbiome in it. The, the skin of the breast has some microbiome. 10% of the baby's microbiome come from the, the skin and the breast, 30% from the, from the milk. And a significant percentage of the milk is indigestible by the baby. It's only designed to feed the microbiome. The, hu- the human cannot digest it. Mm. So the whole milk is designed in part to create and install the microbiome and to feed it. And if the baby has certain needs, those needs become represented in the saliva microbiome and get translated back to the mother through the breast. So the microbiome has co-evolved with human beings to such an amazing extent that we have outsourced so much that we rely on the 3.5 million genes of the microbes inside our bodies Because if we're just relying on the 22,000 in our DNA, that's less than an earthworm. And yet yet if there's a slight change in this microbiome, it can predict death, it can predict disease, longevity, it can predict uh, all these different things, whether you're thin or fat, all these things depend on your microbiome. If you do a fecal matter transplant, you can end up giving someone who's thin the, the tendency to grow heavy. You can create disease in the new recipient. You can cure disease because there's a programming that occurs. And that programming has evolved for billions of years. Now we're introducing new genetic elements that will go around the world, not just one, but perhaps hundreds of thousands or millions unless we stop it. That was the reason. This is answering your first question, Nika. Yeah. That's the reason I, I created the film. That's the reason our Institute for Responsible Technology pivoted completely from focusing on protecting 
people by educating about the health dangers of GMOs and Roundup. And now we're seeking new laws to stop the release of genetically engineered microbes and also seeking massive education around the world. So at least the number of people that know about climate change will know that we have come to an inevitable time in human civilization where we can easily redirect the streams of evolution for all time, causing massive changes that all future generations would inherit, which gives us a new responsibility to steward all living beings, all laws of nature, all the all all future generations by protecting the DNA of the microbiome. Well, I think that is incredible. And I have a couple comments. One is I'm glad you mentioned the breastfeeding and the microbiome, because I think that's really important because there's all these new papers out there the last couple of years, I'm sure you saw them where they say breastfeeding is not essential and there's no benefit when you look at breastfeeding versus um, bottle feeding. And I know there's a lot of women that cannot breastfeed and that have to bottle feed, which is totally fine. But to say something like that, when you hear that information, you realize breastfeeding is the most natural thing you could do, especially important for the microbiome. So thank you for mentioning that. In fact, one of the people that is involved with Protect Nature now, who's in the film, uh, Dr. Michelle Perro, a pediatrician. I love Michelle. Yes, I know you do. We all (laughs) live near each other. We're very good friends. And Michelle talks about how the state of the microbiome of the infant sets up the health of that person for decades and possibly for generations. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's, and you get all of the protection from the breast milk of the antibodies that the mother's been exposed to. I mean, there's so many benefits. We could go on and on. I was just saying that, that we really don't know a lot about the details of the microbiome. There's been 50,000 studies in the last five years. It is a new but exciting area of research. And yet, as we're just learning its majesty, intelligence, and brilliance, which we could never design with all the scientists in the world. Each, you know, some of these microbes have provide feats of skill and superpowers that are simply unbelievable. And yet we have the arrogance to go in there and change it and pretend that our new microbe is going to just stay in the ecosystem, pretend that we even know what it's going to do yeah. to the full ecosystem it's been inserted in, and none of that is true. Well, I, you know what's so interesting about what you're talking about is I, I was just getting ready to write a post, uh, a blog post for Earth Day, and I've been doing my own studies, um, these meditations that are related to nature. And as an acupuncturist, I've been reading, um, I was just reading Between Heaven and Earth um, by, I, I don't know if you know, Harriet Beinfeld and Ephraim Korngold, they're acupuncturists in San Francisco. And they have the most beautiful, I'm just going to read you this one passage because it makes so much sense to me. And it's, it's about ancient cultures, whether it's um, Chinese medicine or another ancient medicine, they usually are telling the same story about um, engaging in tilling, sowing, cultivating, and harvesting the soil depended on for fruits of the land for survival. Agrarian cultures experience power through nature and aspire to be in harmony with the seasons, rhythms, and patterns of that connected all things with each other. Within this reality, the world was like a garden. The garden was nature, the living earth, the human person, the biosphere, the circle of all life. When people are like gardens, then doctors are like gardeners. The role of Chinese medicine is to cultivate life. But but I love that because... We're so interconnected. We are 
we are nature living inside of us. So just like you said, if you let out one thing in California and it can make it all over the world, are, we are miniature biospheres of nature. And so everything that is, we're all completely connected to the soil and the, and, and so everything that you're saying makes sense. If we want to be healthy, we are, I'm connected to you. I am connected to every person listening to this podcast and we all affect each other. And so that's why it's so critically important to understand what you're talking about. I'm so glad you brought in indigenous wisdom. Uh, you know, these are the keepers of, uh, or at least they, they participate in that circle of life. And I, I want to quote someone who's an um, indigenous elder from Hawaii back in the early 90s. He told a friend of mine, John Stokes, about a threat that was happening around this time, where he said, unless we make preparations to to, well, he gave more details as to what he should do, but the threat was that we could otherwise lose biological evolution as we know it. Mm-hmm. And I and I talked to John, who heard this uh, a year and a half ago, and I said, John, I think that when that elder told you in the early '90s those words, he was in part speaking to me. And John said, I think you're right because those words lose biological evolution as we know it. I don't know of anything else that is more perfectly described by those that expression. And it's amazing that there was an insight by this elder, what was at risk here? And so we have a, we've incorporated a slogan, protecting biological evolution uh, from GMOs 2.0 is our, is our protect nature now campaign slogan. And so we, I, I'm so glad you brought up the indigenous because they really do remind us of the complete opposite method of thinking that is being employed in genetic engineering. Well, yeah, it's like, it's just like, we are not, it's like the Western medicine is looking at the parts and if something's wrong with you, go in and just try to fix that part rather than looking at the whole and prevention and looking how the whole system, how everything affects each other. And and when it comes to the environment, when you harm one part of the environment, it's going to harm every part of the earth and what injures the earth injures you and me. And so to restore and preserve our health and our minds and bodies, we have to be stewards of the earth and the soil. And um, it's so critical and so important. Thankfully, there's a lot of people like Kiss the Ground and, you know, other people out there that are really trying to educate people on the health of... um, of the soil and farming. Um, but then on the other side, it's what you're talking about, which is very, very scary. What are things that people can do that are listening to this? Um, what are some actions they can take? Well, that's an excellent question. So first of all, I recommend that people watch the 16 minute film. If you don't have time, you can watch the trailer. They're both at protectnaturenow.com and the trailers had over half a million views. The, the 16 minute film was just released. So I don't, I haven't been keeping track, but it's very, very new. And on protectnaturenow.com, you can click over to what we call an advocacy platform. Now we have uh, people in Washington working with us who tell us that members of Congress are very interested in our cause and are looking to see if we have a constituency. And that's going to be demonstrated through social media contact. So when you go to the advocacy platform and you enter your zip code 
all of your elected officials populate the screen. And there is an email to them that's pre-written, and we recommend that you actually customize it if you'd like. And you hit send, and all of your elected officials, local, state, and federal, get informed. They'll get a link to the film, et cetera. Then you go to the next thing, and you can hit send them a tweet. Then the next thing you can get, send them a post on their Facebook page. Then you can sign a petition. Then you can send things out to your social media. And then you can send things out to media in your area, regular media, magazines, newspapers, etc. So in three minutes, five minutes maybe the first time you're going through, you can have a hundred different actions that help multiply and magnify this message. And we want, that's going to be the basis. Essentially, that's required first before we then get our champions in state and federal chambers to pass laws. And the laws are very specific. As you saw from the film, and we've been talking about, we don't want any release of genetically engineered microbes anywhere on the earth. But there's another specific class of microbes that we don't even want to be created inside laboratories because of the hundreds, more than a thousand incidences of accidental release. And that's the pathogens, which if they were released would cause a pandemic. And so we talk about the H5N1 avian flu uh, virus in the film and point out that genetic engineers made it airborne. And if you can imagine that it's up to 24 times more deadly than the COVID-19 virus, but it hardly ever gets uh, infected in anyone because you have to work with birds. But in this case, if the airborne version that was created in the laboratory got out, it could decimate humanity. We think that that's simply, there's no justification for creating those even in laboratories because we haven't mastered secure containment. So we're looking to eliminate the genetic enhancement of potentially pandemic pathogens and the release of any genetically modified microbes that could negatively affect the microbiome. And then we also talk about some of the bad actor my, microbes that could have, you know, ended terrestrial plant life and changed weather patterns in the film. Stuff that real world science fiction that was nearly, that were planned to be released, but they didn't get released at the last moment. So those are the two things. And then the third is we need to create a global movement. If people have an organization, if they have a position where they can share information, sign up as an organization. And finally, we encourage everyone to make some form of monthly donation, even $5, so that we know we have money coming in that we can then hire. Our budget, our projected budget that what we need in order to cover North America and partly Europe is significant. It's a lot of money. It's millions and millions of dollars because we need to not just change laws, which in itself is expensive, but laws can change because of regime, regime change and special interest pressure. So we want to educate the world in all the languages with documentaries and books and articles and, and social media and lots of small films and put things in curriculum in schools around the country and around the world. We want this to be a full-on global education because it needs to be, because it's yeah. an existential threat that threatens all living beings and all future generations, and it is worth our time and investment now to make sure that doesn't happen.
Yeah. Thank you, Jeffrey. That's a, it's such important work. So I hope everybody will go and just take the five minutes at least um, to start the process of signing up and letting our congressmen know what's happening. Um, you know, and also I, if anybody's listening that doesn't really know much about GMOs, please go back and listen to the other podcasts that I've done with Jeffrey on GMOs because it is a very complex situation. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, which I learned from you. And still, when I mention GMOs to people, a lot of people, their eyes glaze over and they're like, but I heard, G- G- what are GMOs? And so I think that, um, you know, that people might need more education on that. So go listen to the other podcast. And Jeffrey, is there any updates on um, the state of the GMOs and Roundup and glyphosate? I know that there's been a bunch of lawsuits that have been won um, regarding cancer being caused by the glyphosate. Um where are we with glyphosate? Is it ever going to be banned, do you think, in California? Well, I haven't seen actions to ban it in the U.S. yet uh, federally. But we have cities that are are saying we're not going to spray for city property. We have counties doing that. We have glyphosate-free and also pesticide-free uh, cities all over California and all over the country. That really has been a very successful movement because these are not needed. I was talking to a friend that had this established in Irvine, California, and it turns out when they brought in natural methods, they need to water less. They have less water requirements, and the lawns look more beautiful because they've built up the soil and are working with the microbials. So you can actually save money. Uh, You can grow better in in low water situations by not using these chemicals for Monsanto, and then you save the lives of the humans and the children and the pets that might be exposed. Yeah, it's so important. And I don't think people realize how many gardeners actually use Roundup. I actually, somebody called me and said somebody was spraying something on the sidewalk in front of our office. And I found out, this was just a couple of weeks ago, that it was Roundup, it was glyphosate. And I was so shocked because we'd already talked to our landlords and our neighbors, everybody's all on the same page. And there was a new gardener and they were spraying it. And I was so pissed. And so um, I'll actually, if I'm driving down the street and I see a gardener spraying what looks like Roundup, I'll actually pull over and be like, do you ask them, you know, what they're spraying? Because a lot of times they don't know and they're not even wearing masks. So it's so important for people to ask their gardeners ahead of time or people that are taking care of their land what are they spraying? What are they using? Because a lot of times people don't even know. Yeah, I remember pulling over a guy who had this little buggy that was designed to spray Roundup. And he told me it was Roundup. And I, I told him, you know, uh, I have some information you may want to know that that it's actually linked to cancer and disease and death and whatnot. And he goes, really? He had no idea. And of course, the lawsuit brought out all the the, the lies by Monsanto, where internally they tell their own people, you have to wear gloves and masks and, and protective gear, but they would put TV commercials on with people wearing shorts and tank tops right. spraying. And, yeah. yeah, and I was just at my acupuncturist and somebody was spraying. They have a beautiful garden. And I asked the guy who wasn't wearing a mask in San Francisco, and he told me it was Roundup. And I told him and, and the acupuncturist and none of the other people in the in the building knew about it. So anyways, it's really good to speak up because it's happening and a lot of people don't even know about it still. You know, you know, I don't know if you know Kieran Krishnan. He, he's um, with Microbiome Labs. He's in the film, one of the world's experts at the microbiome. And when I approached him, I said, I have a global campaign to protect the 
world's microbiome. He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm helping out by speaking out against the overuse of these chemicals because it turns out that Roundup is also destroying the microbiome, right. not just in our gut, but throughout, throughout um, the agricultural lands and throughout lawns. And it's actually in the rain now. It's oh, in the I air. I can't even believe that. Yeah. I know. It's terrible. Well, let's, okay. So let's end with a little bit of good news. What's some positivity? Okay. People take a step, go to Jeffrey's website. Definitely watch Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. And what's the website again? ProtectNatureNow.com. Okay. And give us a little bit of good news before we finish this podcast. Oh, the good news. It's actually great news. You see, you know how sometimes individually we need to face something, some threat or whatnot in order to step up and step into the higher version of ourselves. Yeah. Well, you know, we could look at this information that we talked about and get angry or fearful or sad, but I'd like to recommend a different tact. This is an opportunity to give humanity a bigger vision, similar to that of the indigenous peoples, where we realize through our technology, we are now connected to all living beings and all future generations. Many generations in the future, all the different beings, all, all depend on our actions. We know that in 1859, rabbits were, were released in, you know, 24 rabbits released in a, one place in Australia. By the 1920s, it grew to 10, over 10 billion. We understand that we can have a disproportionate effect in future generations, but now we understand that it is absolutely essential. And so it becomes an opportunity for humanity to step into a bigger vision and a role of steward, a role of safeguarder of all living beings and all future generations. And for that, it's an honor to work on behalf of nature. And it's something that we can approach with joy and connection at a new role for humanity that we can model ourselves for others to also step into. Thank you, Jeffrey. I love that. And I'm going to share with one last thing that I just, I have to share because it's so in alignment with exactly what you're saying. And again, it's from um, Between Heaven and Earth. And it says, the human being is a microcosm of nature, a smaller universe. Human beings represent the juncture between heaven and earth, the offspring of their union, a fusion of cosmic and terrestrial forces. Sustained by the power of earth and transformed by the power of heaven, humanity cannot be separate from nature. We are nature, manifest as people. As a cosmos in miniature, we are propelled by the same forces. Good and bad are relative, not absolute. Life and death balance each other. Seen and unseen, soma and psyche are aspects of one continuous process, by definition, ever-changing and in flux. I love that because we are nature. It is all we are. And it's true, Jeffrey, if we make the change in ourselves, then we're helping with this movement. It's all about, you know, good and bad, light and dark. Everything goes together. But thank you so much for bringing this to um, our attention. It's so important. And thank you, Nika. That was a perfect quote to end with. Our connection with nature is something that I see as dawning more and more in this in our civilization. And it's not only a good idea, it's now a requirement. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jeffrey, so much for all the work you're doing. It's so important. And I hope everybody goes to Jeffrey's website. And, you know, it's just the little things that we do. So even if it's just speaking up to a gardener, making sure you're not using um, toxic chemicals, eating organic, staying away and not supporting genetically modified engineering or genetically modified foods um, are just little things that you could do for your own life. Thank you so much. And Jeffrey, we will be promoting your film on urbanremedy.com. And if you want more information, just go to Jeffrey's website. Thank you, Nika. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika, and I'm wishing you a beautiful day.